brothers and sisters. Who is Jesus? You know, maybe some of you aren't super familiar with Jesus. Maybe you know the basics, but when it comes to the, the details, maybe you're not super familiar, and that's okay. Maybe some of you are, are really, really familiar with Jesus, or at least you'd like to think so. When you hear the name Jesus, what comes to your mind? Maybe what comes to your mind is, you know, Jesus with like a little lamb in his arm and a, a shepherd's crook and like a green pasture and the, it's, it's sunny and like it's super, super peaceful. Maybe that's what you think of. Maybe you think of Jesus, you know, laughing, you know, chilling out with, with a, a children on his lap and in his arms and everyone's just having a great time. Maybe when you hear Jesus, you think of him, you know, consoling someone with like their, their head in their palms and he's comforting them and telling them it's going to be okay. Maybe that's what you think of. If you do, that's good. That's a good thing. Jesus does all those things. That, that's accurate. But today, I would like to introduce you to a side of Jesus that maybe you aren't super familiar with and maybe you aren't super comfortable with. This is the side of Jesus where he loves someone so much that he is willing to offend them. He is willing to tell them what they do not want to hear. And I call this the Amen, Amen, Jesus. See, several times in the gospel, when Jesus says, wants to get across that, what he's saying is really, really important. He'll say the words, amen, amen. And when we say amen too, so when we say amen after a prayer or after we say like the Apostles' Creed or when we hear something that we really agree with, we say amen, right? Amen actually comes from amen in Hebrew. And what amen in Hebrew means, it, it's, it, it's sure, it's foundational, it's, it's, it's unmovable. It's, it's trustworthy, right? You can't move it. And so that idea came into when Jesus would say, amen, amen, I tell you, so on and so forth, that what I am about to say is as true as I am. And it gets, uh, it gets translated different ways uh, in English translations. So usually we say very truly. You've, you'll see truly, truly. Um, some translations don't even, it's just amen, amen. If you remember the King James Version, right, it, it usually has verily, verily. Um, but what Jesus is saying when he says that, when he says that, is that what I'm about to say is as true as I am. And if you do not believe what I'm about to say right now, you do not believe in me. And what's really fun is that there are two of those statements in our text for today. So we will go ahead and dig in. The first one, uh, we'll just read the, the, the just, just so we can get the context. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself. But there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Context. This little section is at the end of an epic theological debate between Jesus and the Pharisees, who, who were the, the biblical religious experts of that day, and usually the people that butted heads with Jesus the most. 
And Jesus, before this section, just told them that their ethnic heritage as children of Abraham or or members of the the Jewish Israeli nation was not enough for them to be saved. Essentially, that God didn't love them just because they were Jewish. That just because they are part of God's people, Israel, doesn't mean that they are really a part of God's people. And as you may imagine... They did not like that. They were offended. But because they don't have any biblical grounds to come back at him or they don't have any, like, logical response, they just resort to name-calling. And they say, you are a Samaritan, which uh, the Samaritans, if you may may know, that Samaritans were the blood-sworn enemies of the Jewish people. And so calling someone a Samaritan was, like, the lowest you could go. And then demon-possessed, which I probably don't have to explain why that's offensive. And the way Jesus responds is incredible. He responds not with a, I know you are, but what am I? No, he he responds with sharp, offensive law and beautiful, sweet, unconditional gospel. This is what Jesus says. Jesus is saying, I really don't need to, to defend myself against you. Because there is someone who defends me. There is someone who defends my honor. And he is the God that you claim to worship. In fact, the judge that you are going to have a give an account of your life when you die and you stand before him and you're going to have to explain everything that you did and everything that you said, he is going to hold this conversation up in front of your face and because of it, he will have every right to damn you. But Jesus doesn't end there. Because Jesus comes and says, listen to me. Listen to me. Repent. I can give you a goodness, an innocence, a righteousness, a status before God that that nothing that you can do can earn. None of your your righteous behavior, your holier-than-thou attitude can ever give you. I can give you gifts and treasures beyond your wildest imagination. I can give you a hope, a joy that nothing on this earth can give you. I can make it so that you will never see death. You you may die, but death will be nothing to you except a portal through which you go in order to gain eternal life. Just listen to me. Keep my word. Hear my word. Trust my word. Why do you think the Pharisees were so upset? Because they're, they're really mad. Why, why do you think they're so upset? Because Jesus attacked and exposed their idol. The, the, the false god that they have in their hearts, that they truly love and worship and trust in more than God himself. See, they, they, they say that they trust in God, but really what they trust in is their own works, their own righteous character, their own ethnic heritage. That's really what they trust in. That's really their God. And Jesus loves them enough to offend them and expose their idols. And even though none of, I, I would never say that any one of you are Pharisees, I know that you love Jesus. Jesus loves you enough to offend you as well. Jesus loves you enough to expose your idols. And I want to say that before what I'm about to say next. Because I know you all love Jesus. 
But you also have a sinful nature. And you also have a, a, a tendency, we all do, to, to sometimes put idols in our hearts instead of God, and, and we need to be offended. And so, if you are more passionate and more inspired to talk about a politician or about a political agenda or about the U.S. Constitution uh, or one of its amendments or about American values, whatever that is, if you are more passionate and convicted about that than you are about what the holy God of the universe says in his word, or if you hold those things like on an equal plane and, and, and say that those are like the same thing, you may have an idol. If you are willing and able to get up at 4.30 in the morning for work, for the gym, for a vacation, for a sports event, for you know, seeing your friends, if you are able and willing to stay an extra hour just so you can make a little bit more money, so that you can get a little ahead at work to get a promotion or to impress someone, if you are able and willing to set a little bit more uh, of your budget towards a car, towards a boat, towards a trip, towards you know, improving the house. But when it comes to God and his word, when it comes to Bible study, when it comes to worship, when it comes to serving your neighbor and praising God with your gifts, your, your mindset is, well, maybe if I have time. Maybe if I don't have to get up too early. Maybe if I don't have to drive too far. Maybe if my friends are there. Maybe if there's enough room in the budget. Maybe if it's convenient. Maybe if I can get some errands done on the way. You may be worshiping a false god. And I'm not saying this to say shame, shame, shame on you. You need to come to church more. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that children, relationships, money, success, careers, national freedom, comfort, all these things are good things. But if one of those things is the God of your heart, if one of those things is the God that you worship, that means Jesus is not. And you dishonor him. And you must be warned. He's coming. Oh, but Jesus comes to you now. And Jesus comes to you not to damn you, not to condemn you, not to humiliate you, but to save you. Jesus comes to you and he offers you what no other God, no other idol, no other person would ever dare give you. He offers you him, his very self. He offers himself as he goes in your place on the cross and is willingly punished and slain when it should have been you. He offers you a hope, a joy that, that goes beyond this life that nothing in, on this world can give to you. The promise that you will never see death, that death will be nothing to you except a portal through which you enter eternal life, that thing that your heart desires on its deepest level. He offers you an intimacy, a love, that no other relationship could give you. He offers you a freedom, a status in his kingdom that no other country, not even this one, could ever offer you. He offers you 
a satisfaction, a peace, a comfort of knowing that your sins are forgiven. And that's something that no amount of money, no amount of success, no amount of uh, uh, approval from your, your peers or your neighbors or your boss could ever give you. And the best part is, it's free. It's free. He doesn't ask you to pay for it. In fact, he, he tells you to stop paying for it. Stop trying to pay for it. You can't pay for it. He doesn't ask you to, to, to make up for it, for all the things you've done. He doesn't even give you a ladder so that you can climb up and somehow meet him in the middle. It's all free. Just trust him. Trust him. Trust him and what he has done for you on the cross and at the grave more than yourself, more than what you've done for him. Trust him enough to infiltrate your heart and cast down your idols, even if it's painful. Trust him enough to obey him and conform your heart to his word and his will, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's not culturally popular. Trust him. Truly, I tell you, God may offend you, but he's not your enemy. He's your friend. He's your savior. That's the first uh, incredible statement uh, of Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, whoever heeds my word will not see death. But he doesn't stop there. How would you expect uh, the, the Pharisees to respond to that, that gospel promise to them, especially when they've been so rude to him? <laughs> well, they don't respond well. Uh, and what they do is not only just despicable, but it's utterly childish. You see what they do? They say, oh, now we know you're demon-possessed. And they twist his words and say, you think that, that whoever believes in you is never going to even taste death? That's not what Jesus said. They said. He said that they would never see death, that death would be nothing but a portal through which you enter eternal life. Death will no longer dom dominate and rule over you. That's what he's saying. And he never said that you would never physically die. That's not what he meant. And, and whether the Pharisees are purposely twisting his words or not, it's, it's, it's obvious. They don't even try to understand it. They're not even trying to get it. But they have a point. They have a point. Jesus is talking big game here. That is a big, big thing to claim. That if you listen to me, death, you can have eternal life. That's a big claim. And so the Pharisees say, and rightly so, who do you think you are? Who, who are you to claim that? And this is where Jesus gets real with them. Jesus says, you know, my father, the God that you claim to worship, he doesn't just love me. He doesn't just respect me. He glorifies me. He shares his glory with me, and I share my glory with him. I'm his equal. And Jesus takes it up a notch. He says, you want to talk about Abraham and the prophets? Let's talk about Abraham and the prophets. Your father Abraham, your ancient ancestor, your founding father, to, who lived 2,000 years before you, he wanted nothing more desperately and more deeply than to see the salvation that I would bring. 
his greatest joy and his greatest desire was to see me, to see my day. And he saw it. God showed him. And he wept tears of joy. Well, the Pharisees say, um, Jesus, you're, you're like 30. <laughs> you're not even 50 years old. Abraham lived 2,000 years ago. What are you talking about? And here it is. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Very truly I tell you. Amen, amen. Before Abraham was, I am. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? The burning bush. Moses. That was him. Jesus has no beginning or end. Jesus has no limit to his power, to his knowledge, to his wisdom. Jesus has no creator. He is the creator. Jesus is not simply a prophet or a teacher sent from God. He is God. And if the Pharisees were true believers in God, they would hide their face because they're afraid to look at God. They would throw off their sandals and fall on their faces and worship at Jesus' feet. But they don't. They don't. They don't repent. They don't rejoice that God is now among them. They have one thing on their mind. Murder. They pick up stones to murder him for claiming that. And eventually they succeed. This is not just some like theological debate that's like really cool, or at least to me, and then like we go home and just say, wow, that was neat, and then just kind of live our lives as if nothing happened. No, this has deep, deep implications in every single one of our lives. The first one is this. There are only two rational responses to Jesus and his claims. The first response is the right response where you fall on your knees and you proclaim God, Jesus as your Lord, as your God, and as your Savior, and you trust in his promises, trust in his work done for you for your salvation, right? That's the first response. That's the, that's the right response. But there's a second response, and even though it, it's completely wrong, it is rational. And that second response is the response of the Pharisees to completely and utterly reject Jesus as a liar, as a fraud, and as a lunatic. Because if Jesus said this, he's either God or he is a lunatic. This means that Jesus cannot simply be an interesting good teacher, a fascinating uh, religious leader, a, a moralistic, a therapeutic uh, ad advisor, when you want advice. He cannot simply just be a pillow to cry on when you are feeling scared or, or sad. He cannot simply be just uh, someone that you talk about when, when you want to feel philosophical. He cannot be a, a political mascot th that somehow just agrees with everything you believe. Jesus must be your God or he must be nothing. He must be your God. He must be the number one and biggest priority in your heart, and he will settle for nothing less. And quite frankly, neither should you. 
Right? You, you shouldn't settle for anything less than him either. This means that there is no such thing as a moderate Christian. A moderate Christian, at least in, in my definition, would probably be someone that says, well, yeah, I like Jesus, and I like some of the things he says, but not everything. That is not possible. That is just simply not possible. Either Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth and the creator of all things, God himself, or he is nothing. This also means, and again, this, this may be hard to hear, and I guarantee it, it's even harder to preach. Just because someone claims they are a Christian, someone, just because someone identifies as a Christian, doesn't necessarily mean they are. And this isn't from me, this is from Jesus. Just because you have a generic belief in God, just because you pray sometimes, just because you go to church sometimes, just because you believe in family values or biblical values, however you even define that, does not mean you are a Christian. I mean, the Pharisees are proof of this. The Pharisees are proof that it, it really doesn't matter how kind and charitable you are. It really doesn't matter how many Bible passages you can rattle off. It really doesn't matter how religious you seem on the outside. If you do not love, trust, and believe in Jesus as your Lord, as your God, and as your Savior, and trust in his promises and his work on the cross for you, you are not a Christian, and you are not saved. And I would be willing to bet that most, if not all of us, in this room right now, either know someone, or maybe even are someone, who identifies as a Christian, but really is on the road to hell. Talk to them. Talk to them. Show them what, what, what Jesus says in John chapter 8. Just ask them, do, do you know what Jesus says? Do you know about what he claims to be? Do you believe this? Do, do you know what this means? And if you don't want to talk to them, have them talk to pastor, and pastor will talk to them, and I'll listen from my office. It, it is not intolerant or unloving or, or, or mean to talk to someone about their spiritual cancer. It's not intolerant to point out a spiritual sickness that will kill them. It's the most loving thing you can do. It's that important. I don't want to end on that, if that's okay. Uh, what I want to end on is, is this. Come behold the wondrous mystery. The wonderful mystery. Again, a mystery, when the Bible talks about a mystery, it, it's not like something you have to figure out. No, a mystery is something in front of you that you can look, it's beautiful, it's majestic, you can see it, but you can't completely wrap your mind around it. And here before us is the most beautiful, majestic mystery. The person of Jesus Christ, true God and true man. And theologians for 2,000 years have, have tried to make it make sense, and they fail every single time because Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And yeah, I know, the math doesn't add up. That's okay. Because Jesus must be 100% true man if 
he is going to die a human death, live a perfect human life, die a human death that God demands as a payment for the sin of the world. And he must be 100% true God in order for his death to be big enough to cover the sins of the entire world. Logically, it doesn't fit inside your logical box. That's okay. This statement, which does not fit logically, is the most true statement that the eternal, immortal God of the universe bled human blood, died a physical death, and rose from a phys- in a physical grave for you. But you know what's even more mysterious than that? You know what's even, uh, a bi- even bigger mystery? Why on earth would the eternal God of the universe leave behind his um, majestic throne in heaven where he exists in perfect unity, perfect love, just absolute perfection with angels praising his name at all times. Why would he ever come down to earth and deal with human problems? Because he wanted you more. He wanted you more. You were that important to him. You were that precious to him. You will never truly understand the depth and the width of Jesus' love for you, that he would be willing to become one of you and die in your place even when you didn't want him. But you can behold it. You can celebrate it. Who is God? I tell you the truth. God is your friend. God is your brother in humanity. God is your savior. And God is your greatest treasure, your greatest joy, and your greatest hope. Amen.